It's not about landing the big one, but about faithfully and relentlessly dropping that lure into the depths, not knowing what we will catch. From Chicago, it's the Old St. Pat's podcast Sunday series, a show that highlights weekly reflections from Old St. Patrick's Church. In fishing, sometimes the nets get thrown in the water but come back empty, broken, or full of pollution. This can happen over and over again to a point when a catch seems unlikely. However, in today's episode, Father Foley helps us realize God asks us to keep casting our nets wide, to be relentless in our faith, and to continue to believe. There's a lovely alliteration between two words But at least for most urban Roman Catholics in the United States, the connection between fishing and faith is not very strong. For people who study the topic, it's not fishing that triggers spiritual experiences for people. Rather, it's beauty, experiencing the wonder of nature, a great piece of music. And especially maybe for people from Chicago, it may be a little difficult for us to get into this kind of fishing imagery that pervades the Gospels, because even though we're on the side of a beautiful piece of water, this is not a place where fishing is an industry. This isn't Indonesia or the Philippines where it's the primary way of making a living or ancient Palestine. Uh, Rather, for most of us, this is a tourist attraction. And therefore, it may be a little difficult for us to kind of get into the, the depths of this imagery that not only is in this gospel, but but pervades the gospels as well. This is the last section of the last gospel in which Peter is going fishing with his friends on the Sea of Tiberias. It bookends the first gospel and the first section of that where Peter and his buddies are out on the same sea fishing, and that's where Jesus commissions them to be fishers of people, fishers of men. The language of fishing occurs a great deal during the Gospels. Sometimes it's in a parable. Sometimes it's in an instruction on on prayer. Of course, there are those famous miracles where Jesus feeds the thousands with loaves and fishes. So it may not surprise us that one of the earliest images of Christianity was the fish. The Greek word for fish, ichthus, is an abbreviation, and for the early Christians, the various Uh, Letters in spelling out the word fish stood for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. It might also, maybe a little surprising, but and we get a hint of this in the gospel, it is quite possible in the pluriformity of practices in the early community, when they celebrate what we call Eucharist, there are times that they probably used bread with fish, and maybe fish as a substitute for bread. Now, I can't say I have a lot of personal experience as a kid from Gary, Indiana, <laughs> fishing, you know. Um, I mean, we were by a lakeside, but that was where everything was polluted because of the steel mills at that point. Um, and I mean, I did go to a lot of fish fries, so that's about as close as I got. Um. But I do remember with, with, uh, with great delight listening to this gorgeous short story by Norman McNeil called A River Runs Through It. Some of you may know the movie. It's a 1992 movie. I've never seen the movie with, with Tom Skerritt and Brad Pitt. The, the, the short story is absolutely, it glimmers with language. It's the first short story that the University of Chicago Press ever published, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, and they never gave a Pulitzer Prize that year. Um, it's, 
it's not about fishing. It's, fishing is a metaphor for family. It's about lost brothers. It's about the power of water. It's about self-reflection. It's about life and death. It's a semi-autobiographical story that McLean is the narrator about, and he acknowledges that it's his family, largely because his father was both a fisherman and a pastor, there was very little distinction between fishing and religion. He has luminous language in this. It's, it's just magical. And in one, in one incredible passage, he talks about being haunted by the water. He talks about being in the stream and watching this mirage in the heat dance over the, the river. And he talks about one of the things that begins to happen is if you're out there and you stay attentive, that you actually, you become one with the river and the water and you are one. As trying to figure out, since I'm not a fisherman, what, what is this magic and, and what makes one an effective fisher, you, you may know that if you're a fisherman that there's actually a lot of science out there now telling you how to be a more effective fisherman. It's saying that you've got to understand what depth to fish at because depending on what season you are, the fish move around. And in some seasons, they move much more out into the deep, and in some seasons, they're closer to shore. You need to understand the ecosystem. What's the temperature of the water? What insects are coming down on the water to feed the fish? And of course, there is the science, I didn't know this, but the science of what's the right lure to use. There's a guy who's an associate professor of biomechanics at the University of Florida who studies lures, right? <laughs> You know, academics, we can do almost anything we want and call it, you know, <laughs> incredible. And one of the things he studies is, is how many moving parts does a lure, especially those that look like fish, how many moving parts do they need actually to, to land another fish? Uh, and if it's, only, if it's only one part, his, his experiments say that about, you have about a 5% chance of getting another fish. If you have two moving parts, it jumps up to 60%. When you get to five moving parts, you're at 90%. Uh, but one of the things that this professor says that biomechanics will only get you so far. He said that there is no way that we can mimic the perfection of nature. Playing on this kind of fish imagery and the lure that is God, there's an ancient Christian writer who also lived on the seashore, Tertullian, North African, who's taken with this image of Jesus as the big fish, the ichthus. And he talks about us, he talks about the Christians, he talks about the baptized as we're the little fish. And that we too, like every fish, are born in water. And some of us, maybe like little lures for Christ, some of us do a pretty good job of mimicking the Christ, some of us don't, because quite frankly, to paraphrase this professor, it's pretty difficult to, to mimic the perfection of God. It's interesting to think about Jesus as God's lure. The difference is Jesus doesn't just mimic humanity. Jesus embraces humanity. He becomes not only so fully human, he actually changes humanity. He takes it into himself unto death. And what he does in the process is he sort of subverts the entire fishing product. It's not simply that God is fishing for us, but through this lure, through the great ichthus, we actually get to land God. 
we actually get to engage and bring home God's great kingdom, which is the bait for eternal life. Some of us are think about ourselves maybe as just little fish. Some of us are guppies. Some of us are minnows. Sometimes we're wide mouth baths. Uh, on, on, on bad days, we could be swordfish, and sometimes we're those, those marauding sharks. Um, but we too, like Peter and his brothers and the other disciples, are called to be fishers of people. Jesus could do that because that's what he did his entire ministry. Lover of enemies, forgiver of sinners, advocate for the marginalized, he did it continuously in his unpretentious care, in his unvarnished honesty, in his unobstructed vision of justice. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but in the Gospels, there's absolutely no evidence that any of the apostles or 12 or disciples were ever baptized. Jesus was baptized, but there's no evidence for the rest of them. But ironically, what we have in today's Gospel, how does Peter get from the boat to the shore? he goes through that natural baptismal pool called the Sea of Tiberias. And when he comes out on the other side, he gets fed, he gets forgiven, he gets commissioned. It's exactly what happened in this sanctuary on the Easter Vigil, and on every Easter Vigil that brings people into the church, because after they come out of that font, they are shriven, they are fed, they are commissioned. That's the ministry that was given to us as well. At the very end of A River Runs Through It, you finish this quite short story in a kind of heart-wrenching sadness and hopefulness because it's clear that this gorgeous literary venture is not about fishing but about family. It's not about bodies of water but the liquidity of our own lives. It's not about landing the big one about faithfully and relentlessly dropping that lure into the depths, not knowing what we will catch. The call to become fishers, anglers for the lost, lures for the lonely, trawlers for the troubled, bait for the broken. At the very end, McLean, reflecting on the losses of his own life, for the brother he tried to save commits suicide, he stands alone, knee-deep in the waters they had fished so often together. He's fly-casting in faith, because when you fish, you never know if you're going to catch something. And he muses on our shared vocation. He writes, In the loneliness of the canyon, I knew there were others like me who had brothers they did not understand but wanted to help. We're probably those referenced as our brother's keepers, possessed by one of the oldest and possibly one of the most futile and certainly one of the most haunting of instincts. He will not let us go. In this season of renewal, when we are confronted by war and loss, family division and political ineptitude, we're haunted as well by the waters, by the baptismal waters that commission us. We are haunted by the Christ, God's eternal lure, to mimic his holy mission and all of our imperfection, to multiply loaves and fishes, to lower our nets when the catch seems unlikely, to seek out the lost sibling, willing to embrace the most haunting of instincts, to be keepers of sisters and brothers, 
what Christ calls fishers of men. Through Christ our Lord and the church says, Amen. now for announcements and events. We hope you'll join us for Mother's Day at Old St. Pat's this Sunday, May 8th, as we continue to celebrate the Easter season by honoring the mothers and mother figures in our lives. We'll be gifted by reflections from mothers at our 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and 5 p.m. Masses, and the tradition of bringing flowers to honor Mary returns this year. Please feel free to bring flowers to church and place them in the vases provided at the Mary altar to honor Mary, Mother of our God, and all women in our lives. Also this weekend is the second annual 1,000-Man March in North Lawndale on Saturday, May 7th from noon to 4 p.m. The event is for all men, women, and children that would like to come together and call more men into greater civil and community engagement in the North Lawndale and Little Village neighborhoods. For all the details for this free event, 
please visit 1kmanmarch.com. Broadway on Adams tickets are still on sale. We hope you'll join us on either May 19th, 20th, or 21st for a festive evening featuring songs from Broadway shows spanning the past 100 years. Doors open at 7 p.m., concert begins at 7.30. Light refreshments will be served at the performance. For tickets, see the link on our homepage at oldstpats.org. This Friday, May 6th, join us for a conversation with Melody Hobson, co-CEO and president of Ariel Investments, on her way from her sometimes tough childhood on the south side of Chicago to her role as co-CEO of the first and largest black-owned asset management firm in the country, Melody Hobson has been clear about one thing, her passions about financial literacy and leaving the world a better place, having endured her many challenges she's overcome, not in spite of them. Please join us when this remarkable woman, Melody Hobson, addresses the first Friday Club on Friday, May 6th at noon. To register for the free event, visit firstfridayclubchicago.org. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The homily was originally given at the 10 a.m. Mass on Sunday, May 1st, by Father Ed Foley. For more information about all resources available, visit our website at oldstpats.org. To stay up to date with new episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Old St. Pat's app. Find us on Twitter at Old St. Pat's and on Instagram at Old St. Pat's Chicago. You've been listening to the Old St. Pat's Podcast. Podcast.